Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. California Attorney General Rob Bonta announced a civil rights investigation Wednesday into the Antioch Police Department after dozens of officers were caught sending racist, homophobic, and sexist text messages that openly bragged about using force on residents. Honestly, the messages are vile based on the oldest and worst racist tropes. For local residents, who have complained of police mistreatment and brutality for years, they serve as a kind of confirmation that the police department is in need of, at the very least, serious reform. We'll catch you up on the latest on this developing situation and talk about what happens now. That's coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Antioch is a small but growing city on the northeastern edge of the Bay Area. Many years ago, it was an all-white suburb, one of many created by discriminatory American housing policy in the post-war years. But as home prices and rent began to spiral out of control across the Bay Area, Antioch became the flip side of gentrification, as a KQED podcast put it a few years ago. Now the town has large black and Latino populations. The mayor, Lamar Thorpe, is black, as are two council members. So is the chief of police. But the police department, now about 100 officers, though dozens are on leave, has long had a fraught relationship with the people of color living in the city. And the police chief himself, Stephen Ford, recently told KPIX about what the text messages revealed about his department. He said, when you see this kind of rhetoric and hate speech, can you really undo that? I don't know. Those are some deeply rooted systemic issues that they have to address within themselves. Given the multiple investigations into the Antioch police now, given these text messages, given the politics of the city, what can change and how will that change come? Joining us to talk about that situation, we have three guests. Sanja Dirks is a national correspondent covering race and identity with NPR, formerly of KQED, so you probably remember Sanja's name. Welcome to the show, Sanja. Thanks for having me. We also have Nate Gartrell, East Bay courts reporter with the Bay Area News Group, who's been all over the story since the very beginning. Thanks for joining us, Nate. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, We also have uh, Shagufa Khan, who is a community organizer in Antioch. Welcome. Oh, she's going to join us a little bit later. My apologies. Um, Nate, let's start with you. 
You broke this story about the text messages last month. How did they actually come to light? Well, um, basically, uh, it, it, as much as I can say is that um, there is a criminal case involving four people who were arrested on conspiracy and attempted murder charges. And it was an investigation led by the Antioch Police Department. And it turned out that a lot of these messages were actually specifically referring to people in that case in the context of you know beating them up and bragging about uh, you know using violence on them during their arrest and so forth. And also obviously some you know pretty explicitly racist stuff. Um, so when the district attorney uh, discovered these messages, they had an ethical duty to turn them over to the defense. And then there was a legal process where a judge ultimately determined that because these messages weren't criminal in nature, uh, simply put it, it's not against the law in America to be racist, um, that they weren't deserving of the same protections that the other um, disclosures had uh, that had been given to defense attorneys involving officers under criminal investigation were subject Mm. to. So the the judge allowed this stuff to be released to attorneys in that case without any kind of protective agreement requiring them to not leak it or, you know, not share it with anybody. And so after that, I was able to obtain uh, some of the reports. And then um, once we started reporting on it, um, the district attorney kind of released a redacted version of the reports on mass to, to the public a few days later. Mm. You know, can you talk to us a little bit about the extent of this, right? I mean, 17 texters and, you know, 45 recipients. Like, this was, you know, the department's only a a max of like 100 people, right? So this is like a large percentage of the department has been in on these text messages. Yeah, it's it's pretty much almost half the uh, officers, as uh, Attorney General Rob Bonta put it yesterday. Um you know, I was warned in advance about how bad it was going to be. And it was still pretty shocking to see, you know, in black and white and print, um, you know, there's all kinds of horrible stuff. We, we wrote a really long story, uh, that kind of detailed a lot of it. Um, and we left so many awful things on the table because there just wasn't enough room to include it all. Um, and they're all pretty much equally bad or a lot of, uh, was so, uh, you know, like you said, there's 17 total senders. There's a sergeant who used the N-word frequently, referred to himself as a racist in kind of a braggadocious way. There's references to eliciting false confessions, to beating people up and bragging about it, to, oh, it's too bad that guy didn't bruise more, you know, just things like that. Any Basically, any bad thing you can imagine, you can double it, and mm. that's probably about where you'll land. But mm. the thing I think is is pretty significant about the receivers, because obviously, you know, you're not responsible per se for what somebody sends you, uh, you know, in, in the sense that you can be held directly accountable for it. But, you know, my my question is, you know, these things were going to supervisors to people in internal affairs to uh the president of the police union and um my understanding is when your colleagues send you stuff like that you're supposed to you know tell on them and it apparently didn't happen at all and it wasn't until the fbi kicked down a bunch of doors literally and seized officers cell phones because those officers were under criminal investigation and then months later kind of somebody had the bright idea, well, we're searching for evidence of crimes. Why don't we search for racial slurs in these text messages, you know, on their phones? Yeah. And then they found them. 
So that's the only way that this stuff came to light. It wasn't through, you know, these people reporting their colleagues for extremely offensive rhetoric, which they should have done, including supervisors. Yeah. And we're going to get to the other investigation because I think it's important to keep in mind that these text messages are part of a larger uh, set of investigations into misconduct by the police. It's not just text. It's it's a part of a, a larger pattern. Sanjay, I wanted to ask you, I mean, these particular investigations are part of a much longer set of concerns and conflicts between residents and police in Antioch, right? Yeah. So anyone who has covered Antioch for any period of time has heard that it's got a problematic police department. I think if you're in the Bay Area, you often hear about the Vallejo Police Department. But Antioch is up there, right? It, it maybe has been a sort of a, an open secret about um, the antagonism of the police department, particularly to people of color, particularly to black people. But it was also a place where it was slow for there to be uh, a movement around what was happening with police brutality. And this goes this goes way back. I mean, we've you can trace it back for a very long period of time. You can even trace it back to, you know, the the sort of the early 2010s when there was uh, an influx of people who were going to Antioch from places like Oakland, Richmond, East Palo Alto, San Francisco, Black communities, Latino communities moving out there, um, you know, because one, they wanted the suburban American dream and two, because it was affordable at a time when we've seen mass displacement of people of color from the inner, you know, Bay Area cities. Um, But you had people going out there and a lot of people also going out there because there was Section 8 housing availability out there where there wasn't, um, where it was sort of drying up in places like Oakland. Um, And you had an entire team that was created called the CAT team, which was invented basically to residents say to check on Section 8 people, which basically meant Black people who were living in what had been white neighborhoods. And so this targeting, systemic targeting, right? There was a lawsuit over the CAT team that said it's targeting Section 8 people, it's targeting Black people. That's what these officers are doing. Um, The lawsuit was settled. The CAT team dissolved. But you've had this moment after moment where people have said, look, the police are targeting us for being here. And it's not just that, but People, you know, the older residents are calling police on black people for just existing, right, for being out in the neighborhood because there was this incredible racial tension as the demographic makeup changed. And, you know, there's the cat team. There's also another scandal, uh, Nate Gartrell, with the CNET team, which was a narcotics investigation team and uh, led to all sorts of lawsuits. Um, In the current situation, there's now three lawsuits, uh, three investigations, Nate. Um, what do we know about where those lawsuits are and what they're actually about? If this is just almost like exhaust the text messages from those other investigations. So, um, well, there's the criminal investigation, obviously, which has been going on since early 2022, uh, involving at least eight current and former officers, though. I kind of suspect the number might be a little higher now in light of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the civil, or I guess it's more of like an administrative investigation into the texting, which I believe they brought in a third party to conduct. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have what started yesterday, which is the uh, attorney general of California initiated a civil rights uh, policies and practices investigation, which is something that will probably take a really long time because it's a data crunch and they have to do interviews. And while Antioch has pledged that they will be completely, you know, um, compliant and, and collaborative in this investigation, it remains to be seen whether that's going to be the case. Um, but it can end with 
sweeping reforms and oversight and stuff like that. Hmm. And then on top of all that, you have a um, lawsuit that was filed um, uh, primarily by the law offices of John Burris, a pretty you know well-known mm-hmm. civil rights attorney out here that um, is seeking federal oversight m- pretty much exactly the same way. A la that- Oakland. Exactly. And, and it's, it's basically a carbon copy of the one that was used in the Oakland Rider scandal to initiate the, uh, the federal monitor who's still around today. And, you know, frankly, uh, I've talked to a lot of people in the, you know, criminal justice system and law enforcement and stuff like that since this whole scandal broke uh, last year. And a lot of people were kind of, you know, like, when is this going to happen? Referring to a federal monitor, like it's not a an if, it's a when. And, you know, it's kind of a lot of concessions that it is long overdue out there. And I don't think it's really, you know, surprising to anybody that there's going to most likely be some form of federal or state, if not both, oversight of, of this police department. Yeah. I don't think anybody can fight that if they wanted to, you know. Yeah. For those who are interested in learning uh, more about the Oakland Rider scandal, there's a book that came out called The Riders Come Out at Night by Darwin Von Graham and Ellie Winston. We also had them on the show. Um, so if you search uh, for them, you can find out a lot more about that. But there are uh, eerie similarities, I think, between these two um, situations. We're talking about the Antioch Police Department, which is under multiple investigations for brutality, other misconduct, joined by Nate Gartrell, the East Bay Courts reporter with the Bay Area News Group, and Sandia Dirks, the national correspondent covering race and identity for NPR, also made American Suburb, which was an incredible KQED podcast about Antioch and the changing demographics um, in that city and in suburbs across the United States. We would love to hear from you. Do you live in the area? And what has your reaction been to seeing these text messages? What's your experience been like with the Antioch Police Department? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the Antioch Police Department, which is mired in some scandals that began with multiple investigations for brutality and other misconduct. Joined by Sandia Dirks, national correspondent covering race and identity uh, for NPR now, and Nate Gartrell, East Bay Courts reporter with the Bay Area News Group. Um, Sandia, you've covered 
the community of Antioch deeply. You know, we mentioned your podcast, American Suburb, which you David did with Devin Kadayama. You're now NPR's race and identity pr- reporter. And we're going to spend the rest of this hour really looking deeply um, at Antioch and its police department. But now that you cover things nationwide, do you see this police department as an anomaly or indicative of a particular kind of police department in a particular kind of context? I think it's absolutely not an anomaly. And one of the things that can happen in a case like this where we see a kind of what feels like an extreme version come to light is that we can think this is an aberration, right? This is, this is just, you know, the worst possible version. And while it is very much a, a worst possible version. I think that this is something that we have seen repeated um, across police departments. And I do believe it is particularly true in suburban police departments. There's research that shows that while police uh, shootings are going down in urban police departments because there's such things as civilian oversight. There's been pressure on reform. There's been conversations about training. Suburban police departments, which have fewer officers, less oversight, and often uh, for a long time have had less sort of public pressure right on them, have have been able to, in some ways, run more rampant or had less guardrails. I mean, never forget that Ferguson was a suburb of of St. Louis, right? And that where that happened, you had a mostly all-white police force policing an increasingly Black city. Uh, You know, we had talked earlier a little bit about investigations that were Mm -hmm. going on. And I wanted to add to that. It's also important to note that um, there are now investigations being conducted by the Contra Costa Public Defender's Office into so many convictions um, in Antioch because what they're looking at is not just that these, you know, racist text messages have may have, um, you know, led to con- to convictions that there might have also been falsified confe- uh, uh, c- uh, confessions. Um, that right now they are they are looking at all of these cases made by APD and saying we might need to overturn some of these we might need mm-hmm. to actually roll back all of these convictions so this is also touching an untold number of uh, mm-hmm. criminal cases that APD uh, prosecuted arrested and provided evidence for mm-hmm. which as we know from the Riders case it, I mean this was dozens and dozens and dozens of people who who were involved uh, back in that time period and it seems like this again now. I mean, John Burris has said that he hasn't seen this kind of wide sweeping corruption since the writers. It's different, right? It's a very different kind of case. But even if you look at these text messages and you take away the racism and the sexism and the homophobia, you're still getting basically, you know, officers bragging about violating civil rights, about manufacturing confessions, about enjoying excessive violence, particularly against black people. Mm-hmm. Just noting, too, you know, we're not reading a lot of these text messages on air. Honestly, it, it would be difficult to do like they're they're that bad. But you can look them up in Nate's stories and in Sanja's stories and, and other people's. Um, I want to bring in um, Shagufa Khan, who's a community organizer and longtime resident in Antioch. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So. I mean, you were the subject of one of, you know, a particularly disgusting text message between officers in this. But before we get there, I I actually want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Like you're from Antioch, right? Yes, essentially born and raised. Um, I'm 22 years old. Um, I consider myself a community organizer at heart. I've organized when I was in the deteriorating school district of the Antioch Unified School District. I have been doing a lot of advocating for not only students, but the community. Um, Recently graduated from UC Berkeley a couple months ago, Mm -hmm. um, moved back to Antioch because I wanted to come here to 
pursue changes and help create um, a living uh, community for, for everyone. Yeah. I mean, how would you describe the community of Antioch? Diverse, beautiful, um, enriched with knowledge, history, and amazing people. Yeah. I mean, before you were a youth activist, although maybe sounds like you've always been a youth activist, how did you encounter the Antioch Police Department? One of the first times that I've encountered the Antioch Police Department, in an, an especially an aggressive first time, um, was when I and a whole bunch of community members and students um, were involved in organizing a Say No to SROs, which SROs are school resource officers back in 2019. And I just remember these officers sort of kettling and observing and mugging us. And we were 18, we were all young students. Oh, some of them 16, 15. There were parents there. There was a kid who was probably six years old who was, you know, chanting about say no to SROs. <laughs> um, and it was a very traumatic time. I mean, these officers were pretty, they wanted to show their authority. And it, it was pretty scary to see that. Hmm. So let's get to the text message in question. I mean, they made some both sexualizing as well as racist. Um, were you surprised that to find yourself in their texts like that? Honestly, um, as traumatizing and hateful and disgusting those text messages were, no, I was not surprised, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I mean, does it make you angry, sad, all of the above? Like, it honest, yeah, all of the above. It really also just makes me feel violated. Anytime I see an officer, I'm just thinking to myself, is this person sexualizing me? Is this person being, you know, having racial thoughts against me? Um, and I mean, if anyone were to read those text messages, I did. I literally dropped my phone in shock of just seeing these mm. these sort of conversations about <laughs> racism and sexism and targeting the black and brown community and just exactly what Sandia was saying, like violating people's civil rights. It's just it's a shocker because a whole bunch of community members have been advocating for more transparency and accountability within this police department because of how much it lacked all those. Mm-hmm. And yet people thought we were crazy. People thought we were just anti-police freaks. People thought we were liberals or Antifa. But in reality, there was a systemic issue that started from Chief Alan Contanto because it didn't it, it's not it didn't start with Dr. Ford. It started with Chief Alan Contanta, who actually kind of nurtured this sort of culture, as well as Tammy Brooks trying to lack accountability when he left this police department while he was in an investigation. So do these, the revelations, any of the things that have come out in these recent investigations, including the things about yourself, I mean, do they change your desire to try and stay in Antioch and do community organizing? Like... I mean, me personally, if the police were talking about me like this, I might be afraid. Let me tell you something. I got arrested two times by these officers, all as I was using my First Amendment right um, and raising awareness for issues, protesting. um, And 
a lot of people say from the first arrest, like, you should just stop. You, you're, you're getting targeted by these people. You need to run away. You need to just not, not raise your voice anymore. Because let me tell you something, the way that these people arrested me, there were five grown men in plain clothes uniform, had a tracker on my vehicle, stole my phone, had been following me for about a week straight. These are tactics that the police officers use on people who don't even have a criminal background. I'm just there. They have this mentality that they can bully people, that they can use these scare tactics on just young people like myself, who was just trying to raise awareness on corruption within not just the police department, but even, you know, city, city politics as well. And so my, my, my answer to that question is, if I stop, how will we be able to change the system? It's, we could, we could complain about it on social media and, and just, you know, post things, repost things, but that's not going to really change the systemic issue. And so am I moving from Antioch? Yes, I, I do not feel safe. However, that still doesn't mean that I will stop yeah. advocating and organizing because this is the city that I'm from. This is the city that I'm passionate in. This is the city that nurtured me into being a community organizer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, no, I, I'm not done and I'm not stopping. And I probably will, you know, one day... I don't know, run for office, maybe. I don't know. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is, this is, mm-hmm. we need more of a diverse group of people running and changing these internal policies and fighting for those who are voiceless. Yeah. We're talking about the Antioch Police Department, which is under three investigations for brutality and other misconduct. We're joined by Shagufa Khan, a community organizer in Antioch, Nate Gartrell, East Bay courts reporter with the Bay Area News Group, and Sandia Dirks, national correspondent covering race and identity for NPR now, also a longtime uh, journalist covering Antioch. You can check out an amazing podcast she did for KQED called American Suburb for like kind of the deep background on um, the city. If you live in the area, we'd love to hear your reaction to this news um, what's your experience been like with the Antioch Police Department? And, you know, even if you're not in Antioch, has this news or other things like it changed how you interact with your police department? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. Um, Sandia, you've been out in Antioch going to town meetings. What are you hearing uh, from town residents, are are there people who are you know backing the police there, or is everyone lining up, uh, f- f- you know, uh, opposing? So, you know, honestly, I I haven't really gone out, and uh, it's both have been colleagues who have been doing that. I've stayed in court, but I mean, I can tell you that there's been a pretty good uh, mix of some people kind of feeling validated by this because they've been knowing you know it was going on when other people were trying to deny it. There have been some people who have, you know, kind of publicly apologized for being in denial for as long as they were. And then, of course, there's some people who have kind of like doubled down and tried to make excuses, which I really think is the minority here because it's so bad that it's it's really indefensible. It's not something you can really do out in the mainstream. Yeah. Um, but there is, a, you know, a couple voices along those lines. Sandhya? There, there's, I mean, I think, you know, Nate's, Nate's right. That's, you've got, you've got, I, I think kind of understanding the, the the landscape in a, in a deeper way really helps to understand what's happening right now, which is that 
for a long time, there was a, a deep support for the police department. And it, and it was, um, you know, seated throughout the town, throughout uh, the politics of the town, in that the police department was even more, for a long time, powerful than City Hall, right? Like, you know, I've had the the current mayor, Mayor Lamar, Lamar Thorpe, told me that when he took office, it felt like the real mayor, right, the real people in charge were the police and the police department. Um, mm. And and I think that that felt true for a lot, a lot of people for a very long time. I mean, I remember back there's a few activists who have been out there forever, including Catherine Wade, whose son was mentioned in the texts, and Frank Sterling. And, you know, I think a lot of people dismissed them. You know, Mayor Lamar Thorpe said, you know, I, I didn't always take Catherine's claims about her son being uh, stalked and targeted by Antioch police seriously, but I believe her now. I believe her now. And, you know, people have been speaking up, but they but there weren't a lot of them. There were a smaller amount of folks that did change um, in and around 2019 with Chagufa and young people spec uh, kind of stepping up, uh, particularly in 2020. Um, you know, you began to see uh, uh, protests from young people who were staying in town in part because of the pandemic and were speaking out in part because of the protests around George Floyd and the uprising that happened around the country. Um, so you've, you've begun to see also a shift in the, the politics in, in Antioch, right? Antioch for a long time um, had a a very white city council, right? It had a lot of members who were uh, connected to sort of back the blue movements. Uh, you did have a previous mayor who was black. Mayor Lamar Thorpe is not the first black mayor, but that previous mayor was a former police officer. So had allegiances to kind of the, the systems of policing. Um, what you had in 2020 was a, a massive shift uh, in, in politics and power in that you had for the first time a black majority on city council, including the mayor. So that's, you know, it, it began to completely shift the dynamics. And that caused all sorts of heck to break loose at city council meetings with um, incre incredible sort of you know, racist responses to to this new uh, structure of power. And it was all around policing because a lot of what mm -hmm. was being talked about was police reform, police change. Um, what you have now is those those folks who were so supportive of police um, and angry about any questioning of police, because, you know, in 2020, Antioch police still didn't have body cameras, right? Like they they were they were mm -hmm. slow to adopt reforms that other uh, other police organizations have adopted way, way, way back. Um, mm. But those voices that were critical of the new new, new folks in power, critical of people like uh, Shagufa and those organizing with her, um, they are a little quiet now. Now, mm. do I think that that means that they've gone away? Do I think that that means that they don't continue to support the police? I, I don't necessarily think that that has changed. I'm sure that some people maybe have, have, have had their minds changed by these revelations. But I also think that the divides between those who back the blue and those who um, have been questioning what the police department has been doing for a long time. I think those remain, even if they've been temporarily quieted. Hmm. You know, Nate, there's also complexity within the police department, right? Because, you know, as uh, Shagufa was mentioning, there were earlier chiefs of police. Now there's a, a relatively new chief of police, been on the job for about a year, who's, you know, talking about systemic racism. Um, what do we know about what's happening with the police brass as they're reacting to these revelations to? Um, I think that it's, you know, for the longest time, a lot of these guys, you know, were in denial about their own colleagues, even, you know, the, the fact that a bunch of them were under criminal investigation and they kind of saw it as a witch hunt and so forth. Uh, when there was revelations about racist text messaging before the messages actually came out, it was kind of more of the same. 
And for a lot of the officers who weren't involved in this stuff um, that I've talked to, I mean, that just kind of made the the fall that much worse when they had to kind of face facts and accept that this was going on. And I mean, there's some legitimate questions of like, how could you not know your colleagues were this way? But, um, you know, I've heard of people like openly weeping at <laughs> at the police department. I've heard, you know, a lot of different people looking for other jobs or just trying to uh, mulling retirement or, you know, basically looking for the door. I think morale over there is at an all time low. And, you know, and frankly, probably should be in, in light of a lot of this stuff. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's going to translate to, you know, the rank and file of the police department embracing reform, because uh, I was just on vacation a little bit. But while I was gone, we uh, some of my colleagues found out that there were some policy discussions within APD to stop using uh, police canines, which is a major part of the mm of the criminal investigation there's at least one officer suspected of um setting people up to have his dog bite them and doing it over and over and over and doing it under false pretenses and I so think it forth was 22 also, 22 people bit by his dog at least at, at yeah there was first. 22 people bit by his dog i don't know if that translates to 22 assault charges but you know a high number and then i don't know if all of those are you know if there's more that were unreported and things like that but then also um there was discussions about stopping use of the um less lethal, um, you know, sponge gun, the, the 40 uh, millimeter gun that was referenced a lot in these um, messages. Uh, one example is there is an officer who's among those under criminal investigation who was saying like, oh man, like I shot this guy with the uh, 40 millimeter and he, uh, he didn't bruise that much. It's what a shame. And then there was another reference to uh, wanting to shoot the mayor with, uh, with one. Right. Saying uh, uh, I'll buy people a prime rib dinner at House of Prime Rib. If they shoot the mayor with the 40. Yeah. Nate, thank you so much. Um, we're talking about the Antioch Police Department, which is under multiple investigations for brutality and other misconduct. We're joined this morning by Nate Gartrell, East Bay Courts reporter with the Bay Area News Group, Shagufa Khan, community organizer in Antioch, and Sandia Dirks, national correspondent covering race and identity for NPR. We're going to get to calls and comments after the break, getting a reaction to this news and maybe your experiences with the Antioch Police Department. You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org and Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the Antioch Police Department, which is mired in a series of scandals stemming from 
multiple investigations for brutality and other misconduct. Joined this morning by Shagufa Khan, community organizer in Antioch, Sandia Dirks, national correspondent covering race and identity for NPR. Her KQED podcast, American Suburb, was a deep dive on Antioch and these issues. We're also joined by Nate Gartrell, East Bay courts reporter with the Bay Area News Group. Let's um, bring in uh, Roberto in South San Francisco. Welcome. Uh, good morning. Um, so I, I have family um, who live in Antioch. So, you know, I do have concerns specific to Antioch. However, I think, you know, with the knowledge that half, potentially half the department was aware of the statements being expressed, mm-hmm. the illegality of um, the actions that people were confessing to in these conversations, I think speaks to the fact that these are systemic problems, and this speaks much more to the culture of policing, not just in Antioch, but I think um, across our country. And so I think um, this is really helpful, actually, in revealing that these are systemic and cultural problems because then, you know, that helps us understand that we need to make systemic and cultural shifts in order to get beyond these problems mm. and not, you know, blame the few bad apples. I think actually the exception um, is when a police officer is willing to call out their colleagues. And, I, you know, I happen to have a few loved ones who are cops and who I think are good people, excellent uh, people. And I think that, you know, there is a fear there they've expressed in terms of um, coming out against the entire culture, right? They feel unsafe Mm -hmm. uh, knowing that they'll be unprotected in very dangerous situations if uh, they are seen as being willing to call out their peers and their colleagues. And I think, you know, that is much more the exception is, is the cop who's willing to call out their colleagues for racism, for illegal acts, for violating the Constitution. And that that's a problem that we need to contend with as a country. And it's very difficult, mm-hmm. right, when, when folks are lined up behind police no matter what, right? Um, and, you know, you ask the question, do you think folks are still in support of the police? There will be people in support of the police no matter what. And, and that's, that's a challenge, right? Um, and so we need to, I think, overcome these by way of looking at uh, an entire cultural shift and a foundational shift in how we get to safety in this country. Um, and it's not going to happen with reforms that, you know, the, the uh, police officers association are willing to agree to, um, you know. Roberto, let me uh, let me take this one to. On uh, yeah. No, thank you for this comment. I really appreciate um all that you said and your your perspective, you know, um, Sandy, this is obviously a, a big part of your beat. Do you have a sense of the kinds of policies, the kinds of things that can be done to change this culture? So, I mean, that's that's that is the big one hundred dollar question, one hundred million dollar question. Right. And and already the police chief, uh, the new police chief, Stephen Ford, who was previously with San Francisco police um, and who only arrived around a year ago has been talking about making these big cultural shifts and doing all this new training and implementing things very differently and, you know, fixing fundamentally 
like broken things within the system of the Antioch Police Department, like their Internal Affairs Division, which was not actually separate from the rest of the department, but instead had officers cycle through, um, which means that you could be an internal affairs investigator, you know, one moment and then be investigated by internal affairs another moment, which kind of maybe takes away your um impetus to uh, actually hold fellow police officers accountable. Um, so he, there are these sort of things that they're talking about implementing, these massive, you know, 25-point plans. Um, and that all sounds very good, but it's something that's much more kind of much deeper that's been exposed here, right? That that we're, we're talking about, you know, a system that has been built to protect itself and to target particular people within the city of Antioch. We're talking about a culture of impunity for the way police officers mm -hmm. act and a culture that encourages racism, sexism, and violence. That doesn't just change overnight and that you can't necessarily train your way out of those things. So the question and conversation that Antioch needs to be having right now, and this might be happening in conjunction with not just the attorney general's investigation and, you know, as Nate mentioned, a possible looming um, DO, DOJ, you know, oversight, but it needs to be something deeper and something that happens in concert with the community. Because when you're talking about rebuilding trust, right, you're you're talking about an incredibly deep process of almost truth and reconciliation. I I wonder if if there is something that needs to happen in Antioch, and that can happen because it's a smaller town, because there are people who are calling for change, and because of the depth of these revelations. If that there's a, there's a moment to have where there is some kind of truth and reconciliation process mm. where they really work to rebuild what policing means and what safety means, right? Because this is what has been supposed to keep them safe. And now we found out it's actually been making mm. particularly black and brown people very unsafe. Sandy, I also wanted to ask you about, you know, part of any kind of truth and reconciliation would be dealing with the the victims of the violence um, that has occurred here. And one of our listeners, Diana, writes in to say, missing in your story today is the inclusion of uh, Angelo Quinto, whose death was central to um, some of these changes. Can you talk a little bit about um, some of those situations in Antioch over the last years? I believe this was in 2020. Uh, yes. So Angelo Quinto was uh, killed in custody by Antioch police. Um, and uh, it, it the, who have been found not responsible, um, you know, in in a very um, in an investigation that took uh, basically said he died of excited delirium, which is bunk science. It doesn't exist. We know, um, you know, the American Medical Association has said it's bunk science, and yet it was accepted um, in the coroner's inquest as a cause of death, even though it actually doesn't. It's not real. Um, so there are all of these things that protected the officers. Um, there is still an ongoing lawsuit into what happened to Angelo Quinto. And the family has made incredible change. Just this Monday, uh, Ashigufa, I think you were there. Uh, there was the opening of a new mental health response team. So when, when there is a mental health crisis, people can now call for this mental health response team instead of police to come and deal with their loved ones or whoever it is, his mental health episode that happened as a direct result of the Quinto Collins family. And that also, you know, it's, it's named after Angelo Quinto. So there are people who have suffered deeply because of incidents involving Antioch police who are investing in changing their communities. Mm. Um, and I think that there's a lot of power in, in, in those moments. And, you know, amazingly enough, the city 
listened to the Quinto family and has been working with them to try and institute some of these changes, including changing the way that they respond to, to people in mental health crises. So I think there are these moments of possibility, um, but we need to kind of still reckon with the great pain and loss. Mm. Um, you know, I know that Cassandra uh, Quinto Collins has talked about the fact that th these text messages, right, like we're just seeing a small slice that came out because of this investigation. I feel like we're looking at the tip of the iceberg. We don't know what else is there. And I know that people like, uh, you know, Cassandra has said, I don't want to know what the text messages that we haven't seen yet say about my son. I, I think it's possible that there's more out there that needs to be reckoned with. Um, and I think it's very important to talk both about those who have lost loved ones to, to you know, to the police and, and the work that they continue to do as they invest back in their community and a change. Yeah. you want to talk a little bit more about like this, getting this specific change, like having a mental health uh, crisis line, which we also you know, have in Oakland as well? Shugu, for you yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, I'm here. Um, as we spoke, um, but within this hour, uh, Chief Ford um, came out with a statement of, um, policies that he's going to implement. And I was reading them <laughs> as we were in this interview. And it it's all sort of, in my opinion, BS. Um, it's like like cultural um, sort of uh, cultural response or cultural training. And, and um, they use the word accountability in it. And it's just like, as Sandia was saying, like, yes, you have to you have to create these changes with the community. If you don't, there will be no trust. I mean, this is what the police do. They police themselves. When there is a complaint on a police officer, who polices that officer? It's the internal investigation, which is a police officer within that department. So it's just the lack of accountability that this department holds. And if this department does not work with the community, then there will be no sort of trust being built and it's it's just really hard for me to see that as Sandy was saying like there's people who've died because of Antioch police officers yet they aren't coming out with statements apologizing or kind of trying to create the space to you know help these families and so I I 100% you know agree with what Sandy is saying like mm -hmm. if you don't if you don't work with the community then and just police yourselves, then it's just not going to work. And there's going to be continuously lack of trust and eventually even more issues because you're not getting into the root problem when you police yourselves. It just it just doesn't work like that. And to your point, Shagufa, if people are interested, it's uh, the Antioch Police Department has actually tweeted out a list of 25 policies that they say they'd like to change. Just a couple of examples. Uh, number one, establish a policy on bias-free policing. Two, increase transparency and accountability of police use of force, publish use of force and complaint process policies. Three, provide officers with training and coaching on cultural responsivity. Just skipping down a little bit. Establish an employee wellness program that includes both physical and mental health train officers in trauma-informed responses. Maybe these are the kinds of things that you would expect a police department to to have, and maybe these are, are good changes. But I think to your, to your point, it doesn't sound like it's meeting the um, scale of the problem that has been revealed both by these investigations as well as by uh, the, the text messages and the, the culture there. We've been talking about the Antioch Police Department, which is under multiple investigations for brutality and other misconduct. We're joined by Shagufa Khan, a community organizer 
in Antioch. Nate Gartrell, East Bay Courts reporter with the Bay Area News Group, and Sandia Dirks, a national correspondent covering race and identity for NPR. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, you can go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Nate, um, what is the future of this investigation? I mean, we're we're not we're like kind of in the middle section of what's going to happen here with the Antioch Police Department, right? I mean, these investigations have been going on for about a year, maybe more, and, and now we have much more to go. Well, you know, with the criminal side of things, um, the federal government, the U.S. Department of Justice, is notoriously slow when it comes to um, doing investigations and prosecuting people in most cases. So it's not really surprising that this has been going on for over a year now. Um, There is a federal grand jury that's convened in San Francisco that's weighing criminal charges. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who are, you know, have firsthand knowledge of this investigation, and they seem incredibly confident that at least a few uh, officers will end up in federal prison. Um, on the administrative side of things, I think that these racist text messages are going to kind of quicken the process of um, of firing some of these officers, which, you know, they have been, uh, several of them have been on unpaid leave for over a year because of the criminal thing. But, you know, it's kind of a bizarre that they haven't been fired yet, given all this stuff. Um and then you have uh, the the aforementioned, you know, the, the the DA as well as the public defender uh, have each gotten five attorneys. The county uh, gave them each one point one million bucks to hire five new attorneys each to look at, um, uh, you know, how many convictions to overturn, basically. Uh, and there could be thousands, you know, usually in situations uh, you know, similar to this, I get a lot of downplaying about the number. And in this case, the uh, the prosecutors in the county seem pretty uh, open and, and embracing of the fact that there could literally be, be thousands of convictions overturned. Mm-hmm. And there's also the argument that's being uh, put up by defense attorneys that you can't just, you know, you know, carve out the uh, impugned officers arrests and, and flip those. But when you're dealing with a a culture of racism that ran so deep, there's an argument to be made that any arrest of any non-white person um, should be should be scrutinized. And and then the other question is, where do you start? Do you start in 2019 when you know the first uh, racist text messages surfaced? Do you go back further? Like you start when the alleged crime started? Uh, those questions still need to be answered. And I don't think they've really even defined all their terms. I don't think the the prosecution has settled on, you know, are we just going to look at the people who are sending this stuff or the people who are complicit with receiving it? You know, all that stuff needs to be uh, dealt with. And the the clock is ticking because there's people who are in prison or who are in jail on really high bails whose futures kind of depend on this. So, you know, there's so many, so many plates spinning at once. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, just just so many different directions that this this thing is going to go in. Yeah. Let's get another uh, caller. And Jonathan in San Jose, welcome. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that some of this is starting to come to light. And I really implore anyone listening to my voice right now, just look up what something called policing for profit is. Um, I think what's going on in Antioch is definitely the, t- the tip of the iceberg. When you start looking up the term called policing for profit and you start looking up this thing called civil seizure and civil asset forfeiture, 
this is just the tip of the iceberg. Cops are literally out here robbing people at gunpoint all across the nation for whatever little cash someone might have on them. This is just the beginning. I think that Antioch kind of did slip up with letting these text messages get out there because a lot of these police departments, they're not letting their, their text messages get out. So whoever got this information out there, kudos to them. But if you start looking at what's going on in Texas, in Georgia, Louisiana, help Virginia, oh my goodness, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I feel sorry for what's happening to everybody dealing with this in, in Antioch. I really do. I feel for you guys, and I'm happy that someone's actually shedding light on this, but this is just the tip of the iceberg. So, yeah, for real, if you're listening, look up policing for profit, and when it comes to civil assets, forfeiture, and civil seizure, they are doing so many manipulative tricks out there to just rob people and just come up with all types of charges to make people afraid of keeping their money. This is just a tip. You guys are just yeah, getting started. Yeah. Thanks, Jonathan, for your perspective. You know, uh, Sandia, as you look across the country, can you point to another place that seems like they've made meaningful reform that could have lessons uh, for us here in the Bay Area? That is an almost impossible question. I mean, you know, let's stay in the Bay Area. Let's go to Richmond for a second, right? Which had this moment, particularly uh, you maybe a, a decade ago where, or around the Black Lives Matter moment where they were being highlighted as a police department that was making mm-hmm. radical change, right? That they were kind of, they were heralded national nationally um, for the work that they were doing. And some of that work was real. There were, you know, there were some kind of, shifts within the police department, but it wasn't necessarily lasting, right? And we've seen all sorts of things happen since then. I think the conversation around policing um, is... we haven't been able to fully have it, right? Because we, we, there keeps being a backlash to any conversation and questioning of policing that is so extreme and overcompensatory, you know, like what happened after 2020 with the pushback. And now we're hearing more police, more police, more police. This conversation is ongoing. And I'm not sure we have any models for what good public safety could look like. Well, we've been talking about the Antioch Police Department, which is under multiple investigations for brutality and other misconduct. We have been joined by Sandia Dirks, national correspondent covering race and identity with NPR. Thank you so much for joining us, Sandia. Thanks for having me. We've also been joined by Nate Gartrell, East Bay Courts reporter with the Bay Area News Group, who uh, was one of the big people breaking stories around this. Thank you, Nate. Thank you. And we're joined by Shagufa Khan, community organizer in Antioch. Thank you, Shagufa. Thank you. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.